suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome dear listener. Episode 280, we're here in the leafy western suburbs of Brisbane, perched on our mound with a group of meerkats, four of us on this occasion, usual crew. I'm Trevor, aka the Iron Fist, with me as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day Joe, g'day listeners, how are we all? We're all good. Oh, thanks. That's good. Our contrarian meerkat over there <laughs> on my right, Paul. Greetings, earthlings and other meerkats out there. Mm. Joe, the tech guy meerkat, welcome Good again. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> well, we're looking around the world and trying to make sense of it all. So we've got lots of different news topics as per usual, and, well, we'll just jump straight into it. So... Now, I've been saying to you, dear listener, are you following the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page? You should be, because interesting things are happening, and a very interesting thing happened today. Um, uh, press release went out about uh, stamps again. So previously, we'd talked about how uh, Robin had some stamps, a picture. You can get customised stamps, dear listener. You upload an image to Australia Post, and they'll print your image on a stamp, send them back to you, and you can legitimately use them as a stamp. So that's how it works, and... Um, basically, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Robin had a picture of himself and instead of Merry Christmas, he had, um, something about Satan or whatever. And, and he had a few different images that got knocked back. Well, this time he's gone a step further and hopefully Joe will bring it up on the screen for you to show you the two different stamps. So basically this time he got just a logo with Noosa Temple of Satan in a pentagram and he also had... He also had, um, he made up a fictitious church, the uh, Noosa Church of Christ, and a logo of a crucifix and a you know, thing that's obviously a Bible, sent that off. And, um, and basically the Noosa Church of Christ stamp was approved and he's got the stamps in his, in his hands right now, but the Noosa Temple of Satan stamp was rejected. And they're really very similar designs. And it does look like the only reason for rejecting the Noosa Temple of Satan would be based on the fact that it's a different religion too. I would object to the, the one on the right on the basis that it has a an instrument of torture on mm. it. I think that's quite offensive, don't you? Yeah. Potentially. Well, yeah. you just look at them. I mean, Noosa across the top, Church of, Sa- Church of Christ, Temple of Satan as, as a um, semicircle down the bottom. Mm-hmm. And the only real difference between them is that you've got the word Satan in there mm. underneath a bloody great big pentagram and Church of Christ is underneath a cross over a Bible. Mm. It's – I fail to see how that could be considered offensive. Mm. But – So this is, the, this is the thing, as I was explaining to you guys just beforehand, really for Australia Post to justify refusing this, they will have to show that – that the image was so offensive to normal community standards 
that uh, they're entitled to do so. And really, it's a very inoffensive little stamp that's been asked for here. So It's incredibly inoffensive. Mm. So yeah. anyway, a, a press release has gone out and hopefully Robin will get some coverage over that and a letter will go out to Australia Post saying, hey, this is discrimination. We want these stamps produced and we want an apology. And if that all fails, it's off to the Human Rights um, Commission again on another matter. And, and I really hope he's successful with this mm. because... I would love to get a Noosa Temple of Satan stamp and I would love to put it on a on a um, Christmas card for Martin Isles. Yes, send you it know? off to – and Scott Morrison. I would send – Yeah, exactly. – a Christmas card to Scott Morrison with a stamp for Gee, the – You two are mean, yeah, aren't you? just for the fun of it. So, <laughs> And I think a lot of people would be thinking the same. So, um, so anyway, just in the press release that uh, Robin sent out, um, you know, just explaining how he th- – this uh, Noosa – Church of Christ doesn't even exist. He just made it up for the purposes of the stamp. Mm. So that was good. And um, and in it he said, uh, this is the fourth satanic stamp that they have rejected. It's easier to get a Cartier watch out of Australia Post than a simple satanic stamp. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Hopefully Robin gets some traction on that one. So a clear-cut case of religious discrimination, it would seem. And, of course, dear listener, the whole purpose of this is if this religious discrimination bill is revived at any point, then we'll be making a big noise and saying, do you really want this bill? Because you're just going to be helping crazy Satanists with actions like this if you have a federal act. So we'll see what happens. One would hope the feds are actually watching this and they're starting to shit themselves, to be frank. Mm. We'll see. Right. A bit of homework. Last week, I think it was, Paul, we were talking about solar panels Mm -hmm. and one of your arguments against them was that they take up a lot of space and I seem to recall you talking about the environment under them and that that, uh, animals and whatnot that would be um, in a a less than ideal environment. Far less than ideal. And, uh, well, we got um, one of the listeners, I can't remember who, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name, but uh, sent information about Agrivoltaic, which is the idea of of planting sort of shade loving vegetation uh, underneath solar panels, and uh, in the show notes or on the uh, video now, dear listener, you'll hopefully see a picture of some different crops. The first picture is one of some tomato plants growing in the shade of a solar panel, and then there's some blueberries. And if you Google agrivoltaic, you'll see that it's been going since 1981, originally conceived by Adolf Goetzberger and Armin Zastrel. And uh, it's the idea that some plants just enjoy shade, and as the sun moves across, uh, the panels tilt in different directions and it seems to create... They tilt, are you sure? Many, well, many do. Some are fixed. That one some doesn't t- look like a tilter, does it? The first one, one doesn't. That one second doesn't. second one... Well, the second one, is it a tilter, is it? Don't know, but you're right, and possibly it doesn't matter for certain certain plants. Matters for the fault of voltaic um, panel, though, because they mm. work best when they're directed towards the sun, don't mm. they? And they don't work so well when they're not. True. I guess it depends on the position on the hill and so where you are all and all that sort of, of stuff. Yeah, inherent issues in doing that. Yeah, but in in any case. It seems like there's thousands of these sorts of things going on where they're growing. Thousands? Yeah. Are you sure? According to Wikipedia, yeah. Wow. So it's quite common. So that's sort of 
does it change your mind about solar power to any degree at all, Paul? Look, I've, I think I've made it clear. I'm mm. not in principle against mm. solar power. I just don't see it as a solution for our need for, right. you know, high volume, reliable, on-demand power generation because oh. they are just not going to make it. Okay, but one of the th- reasons you gave was because of the environmental degradation underneath yeah, well, them. So well, does that sort of change your view no, on that? No, it doesn't because, right. I mean, clearly the, these are a, a solution for the local farmer or f- for somebody, but they're not going to be a solution for, you know, population centres. And, you know, for goodness sake, you don't, we don't want our countryside covered with solar farms or for freaking windmills for that matter. So it doesn't make any change in your assessment of the value of solar at all? No, no, I I don't have a completely Mm. negative Mm. evaluation of solar. I just think it has its place Mm. in certain niches, but it's not a, you know, large-scale solution for our energy needs. I just lost my picture, Joe. Mm. Are you sabotaging me now for not liking solar? Well... We'll have to wait and see, but I would have thought that considering that they can, that one of the things that I found really interesting this morning on one of my podcasts I was listening to, they were talking about a solar farm that's being built somewhere in the Northern Territory, which they're going to link up to Singapore with a huge underwater cable and that sort of stuff that's going to generate electricity in Australia for Singapore. And how many hundreds of hectares are they going to trash to do that? Well, it's or, desert, or, or, or maybe no, they're maybe desert, they're putting maybe Scott, they're putting tomatoes under them. Desert is not dead country. Desert is a particular but, in, environmental niche, but, but, which some of our precious wildlife is very well adapted to, and that's where they live. But Paul, maybe they're putting some crops underneath. That would. We're, we're still losing the environment, you know, where our lovely little furry critters live. Maybe, what, what, maybe what it's a crop it's... that's already existing. They're just going to wake solar on top. Oh, I doubt it. Or, or roofs of houses that exist, yeah. taking up that space on a roof. I'm yeah. absolutely in favour of rooftop solar. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. What I have a problem with is trashing our countryside to build these low-efficiency solar farms. But, but these don't look trash. These countrysides look actually... Quite nice. The tomato where, plant where, under there. Where looks are the kangaroos? Really... Where are the numbats? Where are the wallabies? Yeah, but look at any farm well, and yeah, ask any how many. Farm there, any farm you go, there's only even dead kangaroos out there that have been shot by yeah, the farmer. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm not against farming. But, but, but do you look at any farm and say, where's the kangaroo and where's well, uh, where's the natural in a, animals? In a grazing farm, there are kangaroos and yeah, animals there too. Yeah, but, but in a blueberry farm or a tomato farm, do you ever look at it and go, where's the, where's the kangaroo? No, no, but they don't. Oh, well, you know, I mean, they have their place. But mm. we're talking about power generation, you know. I don't okay. think this is applicable to any kind of farming. It, it may be compatible with some kinds of farming. It's not going to be compatible with all kinds. If, it's, if it was compatible with lots of farming, would that make a difference anyway? I just Gee, think, think it does. Well, I just think there are better ways to generate power, much mm. more efficient, energy-dense ways of generating mm. power without covering the countryside with this blight. John's just pointing out that actually for grazing, uh, apparently panels um, get you on them at night, the dew falls off, waters the grass underneath and provides shade for the livestock during the day. Well, that may be true and that's wonderful, but it still doesn't solve the problem of us needing you know, large volumes of energy 
generation, twenty four seven. Okay, but three hundred sixty five days but, a year. Yeah, but your argument, rain or shine. But your argument seemed to be in two parts last week, which was it's not enough power, and you prefer solar. And the other part, I prefer of, solar. Uh, prefer prefer nuclear. nuclear. And the other part of your argument was it was the degradation of the ground underneath. And I'm just thinking at least one of those arguments seems to have suffered a severe blow with this notion of agrivoltaic. You're just not accepting it. No, no, because it's obviously it's a niche application. It's not going to be applicable to a whole whole range of farming styles. Do you think it is? Yes. Really? Yeah. You're you're easily persuaded? Well, just from what I was reading about it, it seemed to be quite commonplace. I was surprised I hadn't read about it before. Okay. In your reading of it, you don't? I, I didn't read it that intensively. I, mm. I cast my eyes over the article and, uh, and okay. moved on. Mm. Okay, well, we'll move on. But um, look, I've, I, I got a book today, mm. uh, just arrived in the post. Mm. Can you all see that? Apocalypse Never by Michael Schellenberger. Okay, now he's a famous environmentalist. Mm. And uh, he used to be, you know, anti-nuclear, anti-everything like a lot of the environmentalists tend to be. Mm. And then, you know, as the years went by and he learnt more about this and that, he changed his mind on a whole bunch of things. And Mm. anyway, just one figure that caught my eye, I just read a couple of pages this afternoon. He says, uh, California's most famous solar farm, Ivan Parr, requires... 450 times more land than the last operating nuclear plant in California, Diablo Canyon. When was it built? When was it built? No idea. But that's important. When, when was what built? The solar, the solar farm. farm, yeah. No idea. But they all take up space, don't they? No, no there's huge changes in technology. Yes, so uh, remember the Michael Moore supported a film that came out recently. Yes. And... In that film, they were bagging and showing a lot of old solar farms that had fallen in a sort of a decrepit state. Mm-hmm. And really the counter-argument to that was, well, these are old technology solar farms that are... How long do the new ones last? It's not much, much more than 20 years. Uh, they're, they're much more efficient and last a lot longer than the old ones. How so much that's, longer? I don't have the details in front of me, but that was the point of the of the criticism of that movie was that they were highlighting old solar farms and they were basically saying yeah. it's a different story now. Yeah. The the solar panels, mm. I mean, how, does, do you guys yeah. know? I, my my understanding is if they last 20 years, you know, you've, you've done pretty well. I don't know exactly. And some last a lot, lot, lot less than that. You know? I, I mean, they gradually degrade with age. Right. But once they reach about 20 years, my understanding is that their efficiency has fallen so low that you basically throw them away. I don't know. I'd have to. Yeah. But I just know there was that criticism of, of that movie because yeah. it, it. Well, that was just one movie. Mm. But um, the materials are difficult to recycle too, aren't mm. they? I don't know. Apparently they are. And they contain some toxic metals, which mm. are difficult to separate from the other bits. Mm. Don't know about that. Yep. Mm. Anyway, uh, there was something here about that. I would it? have thought they're less toxic than nuclear waste, though. No. Mm-hmm. No, it's not no. true, Scott, because think of the volume. You've got literally probably hundreds of thousands in, in the future, potentially millions of tonnes of these old dead solar panels 
nuclear waste, you probably, you've probably read this as I have, all the nuclear waste in the world probably would fit in inside one Olympic swimming pool, you know. It's really, really compact stuff. You know, they, they say something about what a piece of, piece of nuclear fuel the size of a tennis ball mm. would power all your needs for your entire life. Let's do a debate. Let's do a debate before Christmas on, on nuclear versus solar. Oh, look, I'm, I'm no? really not interested in debating. I'm not a strong debater. Right. But I'm interested in discussion. But, but, we would, but I'm interested in discussion no, that but is the reliant problem with on... the debate is, you know, you get to the end and you go, ha-ha, I won, so I'm right, you're wrong. No, but in mounting your case in a debate, yeah. you actually have to get some genuine facts and figures. Well, so that's... See, at the moment... We're just going, oh, we've got no facts and figures in this discussion other than we've presented pictures of agrivoltaic farms and my statement that there's thousands of them. But other than that, we've got nothing in terms of facts and figures. It doesn't really make that much difference to But facts and figures are are important. Yeah, and we, so, we always exchange facts mm, and figures, Trevor, but mm, have I ever changed mm, your mind on anything at all, regardless of how many facts and figures I've brought to the table, ever? Have I ever changed your mind once about anything? Um, See? No. So mm, what difference does it really but, but, make? But when do we, what do we disagree on is sort of freedom <laughs> issues, which aren't really no, facts well, and figures. Well, we do disagree on factual things sometimes, but, I think, but, you know, but, things like this. No, uh, but you, you've, no. never, you've never changed your mind. But, but we, I probably haven't changed my mind very much either. But mm. I think it, it, it is very useful to discuss mm. them. Mm. And, you know, little by little perhaps we, you know, gradually persuade each other to mm. change our mind on something. I'm not mm. sure. But, you know, for the benefit mm. of the listeners at mm. least, you know, we can, we can have an interesting discussion. I just mm. frankly am not really a good debater. Mm. So I never, never really feel like it's a useful way for me to engage in a discussion because I'm not a strong mm. debater and, you know, you get to the end and whoever is the stronger debater thinks that they've won the day and that their facts were better and therefore they won. And I think it's kind of a bit artificial, to be honest. Mm. All right. Well, fair warning, I'm going to gather some material that about, about solar and its benefits uh, and we'll see where we end up. And Fine. if you um, want to... Sc- I'm happy to listen to your facts. Right. Right. I'm right. just not happy to get into a formal debate. Right. It's okay. just not my style. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. <laughs> Anybody else out there who's very pro-nuclear wants to enter a debate, let us know. All right. Um, the ALP. Let's have a bit of a kick at the ALP. Um, so There's, there's well, lots to kick. <laughs> there is. There is. So last week uh, there was a bit of an internal war over coal mining and climate change, but... According to this article from the ABC, um, the ALP has been quietly rebuilding bridges with a group that at least reportedly drifted away in the 2019 federal election. Labor's been meeting faith leaders, and the result is a broader accommodation of religion in its draft platform. They've met Robin, have they? Jesus Christ. No, they don't think Robin's received a meeting. So the ALP national platform consultation draft. I have a link to it in the show notes, dear listener. Page 55, paragraph 41. Labor believes in and supports the right of all Australians to manifest their religion or beliefs and the right of religious organisations to act in accordance with the doctrines, tenets, beliefs or teachings of their faith 
Such rights should be protected by law. Labor recognises that the freedom to have or adopt a religion or belief and not to have or adopt a religion or belief is absolute and says no Australian should be vilified and um, blah, blah, blah. So the key thing here, dear listener, is Labor it starts off with the right of all Australians to manifest their religion or beliefs. And further on it talks about um, Labor will protect and promote the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion in accordance with Australia's international obligations, including our obligations under Article 18 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Dear listener, if you look at Article 18, which we are a signatory to, it says, everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. And everyone has the right to manifest uh, his religion or belief. But the freedom to manifest one's religion or beliefs may be subject to such limitations as are prescribed by law and are necessary to protect public safety, order, health or morals or the fundamental rights and freedoms of others. So Article 18 says you can believe whatever you like and you can manifest that belief But if you do manifest it, it's subject to other people's rights and freedoms. I'm a little concerned about the morals, though. Yeah. Uh, Subject to uh, protecting public safety, order, health or morals or fundamental rights and freedoms of others. At least it is a caveat on the manifestation. So back to the Labor version, they've just said, you know, all Australians have the right to manifest their religion without any... However's attached to it. They should have just said, we'll agree and follow Article 18. But what they're doing goes beyond that. And the fact that they're swanning around with and having meetings with faith leaders just doesn't. I don't understand what planet Albanese is on. You know, I had this discussion with the better half this morning and he and I are shaking our head. I see John Simons, he's shaking his head at the ALP lately, and I'm mm. in it. I agree with you, John. You know, it's one of those things that you've just got to sit down and uh, I'm not a member of the Labor Party or anything like that. I do want to, but, you know, I just think to myself... I know someone who is. Yeah, I know, mm. but Albanese's got to go. <laughs> You know, I, yeah, I I've, so. I've got the perfect re- replacement for Albanese. <laughs> yeah, <who>? <laughs> Kevin Rudd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it, I, I honestly believe Albanese's got to go. I think it, the writing's on the wall now, isn't it? I would have thought so. I mean, the, the, I think they're talking about Tanya Plibersek. Yeah, which is probably marginal improvement. Mm. I, I don't know. It, it's um, what's his name, Chalmers. Yeah, Jim Chalmers might be the guy. Jim Chalmers, he's mm. probably the go, but then you've also got to remember that they're probably going to lose the next election. And, so and he doesn't want to burn that. He doesn't want to burn his bridges mm. just yet, whereas if he goes in as her deputy, Top. she can lose That's and right. then he can ha- then she can hand it over to Jim Chalmers after the next election, then he can go yeah. in and kick the shit out of their coalition. I, I remember asking Fiona Patton, um, is there another politician like you who's very pro-secular, who's sort of really on board with with this sort of idea? And she said, mm, not really, no. But somebody who's kind of sympathetic when I speak to her is Tanya Plibersek. 
Really? Yeah, that was the only one she could think of as vaguely yeah. sympathetic to sort of a very and pro-secular view. she does. Tanya, look, I used to like Tanya. I used mm. to think she was terrific leadership material. And she's very personable, you know, it comes across as very human, very mm. sincere. And I, I think she has a lot going for her. But then sometimes she says really dumb things too, you know, and she mm. seems to go along with this idea of, you know, so-called faith, you know, which is really just blind belief in superstitious mm. nonsense. Anyway, we'll she, s- she we'll makes see. she makes the right sounds, but she is a professional politician, and I guess that's what she's sort of practiced at doing. Mm. Daniel says, "Who do you gentlemen think should replace him?" And the answer is, I just don't hear enough about. I don't hear enough from any of them to really be impressed by any of them. So, well, say, like John's comment here, mm. I had high hopes for Albo, but yes, he's got to go. I would like Tanya, but I think Chalmers would be better. I agree with him there. I think Chalmers is probably better than Tanya, but you've got to understand that they're probably going to lose the next election. Mm. So, yep, and they're all doing their sums, and it's probably what Chalmers is counting on. I think the Shadow Attorney General Dreyfus, I've heard him at different times, and he sounded okay. He sounds okay. Dreyfus Mm. is probably not as tough Mm. as Chalmers is, I think. Right. I think they've got to have a real head kicker as their leader. Mm. Because. Yeah, they do need a head kicker because someone's got to kick. Sounds violent. Mm. Well, I know that, but someone's got to violently take Morrison down. Mm. Careful. Someone with a bit of mongrel in them. Exactly. Ready to tell a story and to to actually lead rather than just feeling the temperature or the wind and going with the flow. Exactly. And that is why Mm. I miss Paul Keating Mm. because Paul Keating actually led this country. He Mm. actually said, you know, I didn't agree with him a lot at the time or anything mm. like that. I'm the first to admit that. But when you look back now, you can, when you look back on his time now, you can actually say he was a leader mm. because he did actually try and lead the and country. He was effective, wasn't he? Mm. He was very effective. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, he he led the country through a hell of a lot of change while he was treasurer, and then when he became prime minister, he was yeah he was pushing he was pushing the republic and that sort of thing. So. Mm. Okay, um, enough on the ALP. So that's a black mark against them. Uh, Can't we rubbish the ALP a little bit more? No, I don't think so. Pick another topic. (laughs) Um, You want to rubbish them on? Oh, yeah, sorry. I I occasionally um, come across uh, posts on Facebook from Tanya Plibersek, Mm -hmm. among others. Uh, And, you know, if they come into my feed... They're fair game, you know, and sometimes I'll leave a comment. But, look, you know, as I said, I, th- I think she's she's a, a decent person and um, I just maybe not quite as for- not quite forceful enough. Is is that your estimation, Tanya? I, I don't know. It's always... But the ALP, you know, overall, mm. they're, just, they're just, you know, they're like the weather vane, you know, the, following the wind, you know, which way is the wind blowing now? We, mm-hmm. Exactly. We, and and it's just to get votes. So I don't think it really uh, shows that they they have anything that they really stand on anymore, you know. They're just looking for some reason that people might vote for them. Mm. And there's, they're becoming so desperate that they're even courting the, you know, these superstitious leaders now. Mm. It's, it's an act of desperation, if you ask me. Mm. Well. It's a sort of a, a rudderless act, I think. Yeah, but anyway, rudderless. we'll see. Indeed. All right. Uh, it could be worse. Uh, we could have had Trump as our president or <laughs> prime minister in, with 
Rudy Giuliani as his advisor running around. So at least we haven't, you know, gone that far down. Uh, so you think Morrison's all right now, do you? Compared to Trump, <laughs> hey. So, you know. He's a marginal improvement over yeah. Trump, yeah. Um, yeah and a, Bojo, too. Mm. Yeah. I think he's a hell of a lot better than Trump, yeah. to be so, so Trump has not been conceding, although you were saying just before, Scott, that you think he sort of did a concession of some sort. He uh, sent out a tweet, and I can't remember the name of the uh, department, but he's instructed the department to make ready for transition. Right. So what that means is it unlocks funds for Biden to set up a transitional team and blah, 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 blah. Right. Which is going to be very needed. I heard a podcast, Opening Arguments is such a good podcast, and the guy in that was saying that that department should have done it anyway. It didn't need Trump to concede, and that basically once a clear winner was apparent... They should have just released the funds and started doing stuff. They didn't need to wait for Trump. So, anyway. Um, well, they might but- have been waiting for the the various mm. counties or states and that sort of stuff to approve their election results. So, the General mm. Services Administrator, Emily Murphy. Yeah. Okay. So, she's certified and they're up and running now. She has agreed to fund the transition team. Right. There we go. So, that's underway. And, of course, we've... We've seen just the shenanigans of Rudy Giuliani and, and, and you know, they've had a couple of dozen different bullshit cases in various courts in different states in America where they're just making the most pathetic allegations of voter fraud that are just embarrassing. And one of them here um, was uh, the judge district... Judge Matthew Brand wrote in his opinion, um, the plaintiffs asked this court to disenfranchise almost 7 million voters. This court has been unable to find any case in which a plaintiff has sought such a drastic remedy in the contest of an election in terms of the sheer volume of votes asked to be invalidated. One might expect that when seeking such a startling outcome, a plaintiff would come formidably armed with compelling legal arguments and factual proof of rampant corruption such that this court would have no option but to regrettably grant the proposed injunctive relief despite the impact it would have on such a large group of citizens. That has not happened. (laughs) Instead, this court has been presented with strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations, unpled in the operative complaint and unsupported by evidence. And that's sort of reiterated in in all all these cases. On Sky News' Facebook page... Different commentators are now saying, come on, Trump, move aside. The supporters in the comments section are still rapidly then going after, not only Andrew Bolt, but the, as one by one they all cross over and say it's time to go. I can't believe you've crossed and you're a lefty. Like, just comment after comment by these people on the Sky News Facebook page who just think there's something in these bullshit cases. You read the Sky News Facebook page? Yes. Oh, yeah. I haven't just got to, to that de- one yet. Just to depress myself. Because <laughs> so, I like to see a wide range of... And I find it actually quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, dear listener, if you've um, got nothing else to do, check it out. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> frightening. And also quite amusing, yeah. Um, a whole range of emotions but, but, will, will strike you at the one time. But people in these echo chambers, they, a lot of them just have tunnel vision, don't they? Mm. And mm. It's, it's whether it's politics mm. or religion. I Last couple of days I 
happened upon in my feed something from some Muslim group, you know, mm. and uh, it was in my feed, so I thought, okay, fair game for comments. So I wrote something. I, you know, I'm not rude to them. I don't insult them, tell them they're idiots or anything like that. I just write a comment about what I feel about what they're posting. And, of course, you know, they pile on. You know, they're right. like, oh, an unbeliever. And, right. you know, they, but their arguments are so feeble mm. and so... They've, they've just got this tunnel vision, you know. Mm. It's, mm. it's all about Allah, you know, and, mm. and, and the prophet. And they just can't seem to see outside that tunnel, mm. regardless of any sort of argument you put to them in the mm. most reasonable way, you yeah. know. So you didn't do that expecting to make Change a difference. anyone's mind. It no. was just staring an ant's nest to just watch what happens. Well, Is that yeah. kind of it? Yeah, sort of. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, just- as I said, I, I avoid being personally rude or insulting to the mm. people. I just mm. try to engage them on the ideas. Mm. But, you know, yeah. I, I don't really expect to change anyone's mind. See, the problem with the Trump camp now is that they're dealing with courts, not public opinion, and you have to bring an action that complies with rules. So, um, you know, you might have a sympathetic Supreme Court, but you have to get there with a half-decent argument that's semi-kind of plausible maybe Surely. that you can then let them um, yeah. change the law on. But, um, you know, in these press conferences and whatnot that they do, they're so used to being able to say, oh, lots of people are saying this and it's complete bullshit. And you just get to court and courts say, who is saying it? Where's the affidavit? Uh What's their qualifications and are they aware of the laws of perjury? And <laughs> and all of this stuff just evaporates. So um, it's just it's a unique environment where their bullshit actually gets tested by somebody and they're mm-hmm. just not used to it, I mm-hmm. think, is part of the problem. So Well, well clearly Giuliani, he's not used to it because he's mm. just used to, like you said, sprouting in front of a TV camera. Mm. But even Fox News has now actually started to say after they've finished their nonsense, they've actually sit down and they said, well, what the president has actually said is factually incorrect. Mm. You know, that is a hell of a move for Fox to take. None because of the journalists have been holding it to account. Mm. No. Mm. They, they let him ramble on. It was only, um, what's his name? Um, Jonathan Swan, was it? Yeah, right. he was the one yeah. who actually really took The son of Norman Swan. Yes. Yeah. Um, really? Yes. yes. Mm. Yes. He's a journalist in the USA. Yes. It? And, and um, mm. apparently had been posting things that the president liked. I think so, that's nepotism, isn't it? Right. So was mm. was invited in for an interview and held him to account. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And showed it was possible. Yeah. Good. Four years too late. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and just one of the other crazy characters in this whole thing was, uh, was, was Trump's lawyer in all this, besides Giuliani, was a lady called Sidney Powell. And she was so wacky that even Trump has had to distance himself from her. And um, she alleged during the November 19 press conference, without providing evidence, that a communist plot had been engineered by Venezuela, (laughs) Cuba, China, Hugo Chavez, George Soros and the Clinton Foundation to rig the election. Hugo Chavez (laughs) in Venezuela. Chavez is dead. dead. Exactly. But, you know, he was responsible for this computer program that was being used to rig the election. Jesus Christ. Um, So he's not really dead then? Well, his spirit lives on. Um, These communists, they never rest, Paul. uh, 
this is the wackiness of these I know, people. but, you know, the de- uh, my understanding is the Dominion program was written in Venezuela. Was it or not? No, no, no. So it was a different program that showed that the results were false and were called out in the Venezuelan election. So it was the voting machine that caught the fraud. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. See, this is the thing. It's so easy to say, the Vene- uh, Hugo Chavez and the Venezuelans are responsible. But, and that takes five seconds to say. But then to actually go and hunt it all down and respond to it takes genuine energy. So there's a thing called Brandolini's Law, also known as the Bullshit Asymmetry Principle, which is an <laughs> internet adage which emphasises the difficulty of debunking bullshit. The amount of energy needed to refute bullshit is an order of magnitude bigger than to produce it. So that's one of the problems of that Trump has demonstrated, it was so easy for him to just bullshit, just lie after lie in a firehose of mistruths and the effort required to run them all down and find the exact answers is is totally disproportionate to the energy required to produce it in the first place. Mm. But doesn't she sound like she's, she's cut from the same cloth as Trump? Oh, well, and... At least she wasn't going on about demon sperm or something. Well, she also repeated an allegation made um, that accurate voting results had been transmitted to the German office of the Spanish firm Skytel, where they were tabulated to reveal a landslide victory for Trump, and that a company server had been seized in a raid by the United States Army. Mm. Skytel and the Army stated the allegation was false, and Skytel has not had an officers operating in Germany since September 2019. So just the most outrageous... Bullshit that this woman has come out with. And um, so there we go. Completely wacky. Now, but according to Spectator, I saw a couple of Spectator articles. Um, there was one titled The Big Steal and another one titled There Is Evidence Actually. Both of those articles were very much sort of pro. There's something fishy going on here with this uh, election stuff. There seems to be something. Don't discount it. It's That was from The Spectator. Well, are we going to read it? No. Why not? Because I don't have the energy to go so through. So you're going to just say, oh, there was this wacky article in The Spectator and you, it, it you was, guys can all guess how terrible it was. Yeah, but you, you just yeah, got to look at can. the title. <laughs> the Big Steal, There Is Evidence, comma, Actually. Titles yeah. are often ironic, Scott. Oh, probably for God's sake. <laughs> well, they are. <laughs> And if it does say that they have it's, a whole section on mad as hell about you know and if it's silly titles. and if it is very much a sort of a an article that says there is something wrong with this U.S. election, there is definite evidence of fraud, and it's wrong for people to poo-poo it. Then, despite all the evidence to the contrary, then what? I'm just saying that the spectator is full of shit. That it produces these articles that are well that are so. I could produce just mm. as many articles from the Guardian, which are equally just shit. So, you mm. know, they all publish a range of materials. Mm. The Spectator does. I I agree with you. I mm. don't agree with everything mm. I read in the Spectator by mm. a long stretch, mm. but they do at least. You know, criticise people pretty freely, which I think is a healthy thing. What about the one on the um, on the face masks? The article in the Spectator about that one. Oh well, that was that was more interesting. Mm. 
So uh, this one was in The Spectator by Carl Hennigan and Tom Jefferson. Headline was, The Spectator article, a landmark Danish study shows face masks have no significant effect. So you saw that one, Paul. Did, I did. you? What did you think of that article? I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the article it says, Do face masks work? Earlier this year, the UK government decided that masks could play a significant role in stopping COVID-19 and made masks mandatory in a number of public places. But are these policies backed by the scientific evidence? The publication of a long-delayed trial in Denmark hopes to answer that very question. Unlike other studies looking at masks, the Denmark Denmark study was a randomised controlled trial, making it the highest quality scientific evidence, according to this article in The Spectator. Uh, In the end, there was no statistically difference no statistically significant difference between those who wore masks and those who did not when it came to being infected by COVID-19. 1.8% of those wearing masks caught COVID compared to 2.1% of the control group. And it goes on at the end of the article to say, and now that we have properly rigorous scientific research that we can rely on, the evidence shows that wearing masks in the community does not significantly reduce the rates of infection. So if you read that, you'd say, well, that study says that masks do not significantly reduce the rates of infection. That's interesting and change your opinion on masks. But the study doesn't say that. So it's um, it says the difference was significant, you know, statistically not very significant. Uh, and what the study also says is it just looked at people who were wearing masks. Did they get uh, an infection? Not whether that prevented the spread of infection in the community. So, so the article says. As so a headline, are, there are the means of transmission, obviously. Yeah. So the article says, landmark Danish study shows face masks have no significant effect. And the last paragraph says, and now we have properly rigorous scientific research that we can rely on. The evidence shows that wearing masks in the community does not significantly reduce the rates of infection. But when you actually read the report, it says the numbers were way too low to get any statistical significance out of this report. But it also says these fight the fight. So this is from the report itself, not a criticism of the report from somewhere else. But the actual report says the findings, however, should not be used to conclude that a recommendation for everyone to wear masks in the community would not be effective in reducing SARS-CoV-2 infections because the trial did not test the role of masks in source control of SARS-CoV-2 infection. So. Mm-hmm. It's a really misleading article in The Spectator. And that's dangerous to be producing an article that's saying masks have no effect on infection when, in fact, the report says something quite different. I think that's really... It didn't say no effect, Trevor. It said it didn't have a statistically significant difference. So what was it, 2.1... 
compared this is with 1.8 1. 1. 8 or something. Yeah. I mean, there is a slight difference, but it's statistically so small. But as you say, the numbers in the, in the trial were fairly low as well. So the, the report itself said that the numbers were so low that the, um, the 95% uh, confidence interval was 46% reduction to 23% increase. So yeah. that meant looking at these numbers, if you wanted to be 95% confident of the result, either the masks reduced infection for the wearers of the mask by 46% or increased it by 23%. So that's, that's how bad the, the, the numbers were. But they actually said it shouldn't be used to conclude that masks are not effective in reducing infections because the trial was only looking at hmm. people who are wearing the mask and not the, so the effect that, of masks on the spread of the infection in the community. So isn't that a responsible way of reporting the findings? No. Saying that it's not a recommend... It's, it's, not a, it's not saying they're never effective, is it? Oh, I the, think that the, when you the, read the when the, you read the Spectator thing, you'd have to conclude that masks are useless because you've got. And you? now we have probably rigor, rigorous scientific research we can rely on. The evidence shows that wearing masks in the community does not significantly reduce the rates of infection. Hmm, then you go back to the original. Then you go back to the original st- uh, study, which the findings, however, should not be used to conclude the recommendation for everyone to wear a mask in the community would not be effective in reducing SARS-CoV-2 so so infections. They haven't said, don't wear a mask, everybody. Uh, they did, up there in the Spectator. The Spectator article said, it's useless to wear a mask. Where did they say that? It's it, useless. It, it's, and now we have properly I'm, I'm, I'm putting it into other words to try and... Because you're, not, you're not accepting the words that I'm u- we're using. The evidence shows that wearing masks in the community does not significantly reduce the rates That's of infection. not the same as saying masks are useless. Okay, Paul, we're just trying to put this in <laughs> another it word. It isn't. It's saying that wearing masks does not significantly... It's saying the evidence shows yeah. that masks do not significantly reduce the rates of infection. The report, the evidence, does not show that. That is completely false, that statement. The evidence in the report does not say that. Okay. So I'm saying that that's so a really saying... misleading report by the, okay. in, the, well, in that well, article. Maybe, well, maybe there's one or two sentences or paragraphs that perhaps were... But, but, but that is the tone of the article. Okay, but the information in the article, do you think, is of no use whatsoever? It's dangerous. Dangerous, really? Yes. Well, how is it dangerous because to report in- that in Denmark a survey was done and they tried to make it, you know, reasonably scientifically, re- uh, you know, valid... And these were the findings. What's dangerous about because that? Because they misreport what the findings were. Well, any intelligent person can read through it and work that out, can't they? But if you're going to lie about what a report, yes, they are. Well, they're, they're it's a complete lie about what the report I would say says. That they were lying. It's a complete misrepresentation of what the report says. Well, what the it? evidence in the report does not say what they are saying. The report is saying. They are completely I, different. I, I take your point on one or two paragraphs or sentences. But, but, but I'm not picking but out... But the information in the, in the test was surely worthy of reporting, wasn't it? But not if you're going to misrepresent not if, it. Not if, no, but the content, the actual content of the article. You don't think that should have ever been reported? Is that what you're saying? Because they've, they've lied about a report. 
No, no. So they haven't reported... Apart from those offending sentences, Trevor, are you saying they shouldn't have released this information? It's not just these sentences that I've picked out. The title of the article is Landmark Danish Study Shows Face Marks Have No Significant Effect. The point of this article... And that's what the research showed. No, Mm. it didn't. No. The point is... 2.1... What was it? 2.1 versus 1.8? Yeah, but when you go down to the actual report... It says that there is... What was the report it, only talks about the infection of the people wearing the mask. Mm-hmm. It doesn't talk about the effect of that on the community transmission. And these people are misrepresenting what that report is yeah. saying. Okay. So, And the entire article and tone of it is all about masks are shown by this report to not reduce infections. By very much. No, but but the whole tone of this article is to say masks don't help with infections. Make a lot of difference, yes. And and they're saying this report says that. Okay, so where are the And the report does not say that. Yeah, all right. Where are the reports that that tell us masks are absolutely effective? There are none, are there? Are there any? Paul, can we just, before we move on to that... Well, you're saying this article is responsible and dangerous was the word you used. Yes. I don't think it's dangerous. I think we need more information, not less information. You don't think it's dangerous to misrepresent a scientific study to say it says X when the study says Y, knowing that most people won't be bothered to read the article, read the the scientific (laughs) report? My, My... my observation during the past six or eight months is that people believe exactly what they want to believe, regardless of what what evidence there is. You know, the, the public health officer tells us, you know, wear masks. People go, oh, we have to wear masks, you know. Somebody else says masks are useless, and so those people who want to believe that will say, oh, I don't need a mask. But, but, but the fact that this is a misrepresentation of what a report says I've seen doesn't worse, worry Trevor. you. I've seen worse. It doesn't? I've seen worse. You know, it doesn't me, worry you? No, it doesn't particularly worry me because... But, but when you... Did you... Did, <laughs> what's so funny? Did, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Paul. I, I, did you... So you produced... You reprinted this one on your Facebook page. Yes. So... Because there's so much information out yeah. there filling people yeah. with fear yeah. and dread did, of this microbe. Yeah. And I think it's healthy to have some kind of other, other view. But did you look at the report? I didn't read it. I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time. I did read and I thought, yeah, that's interesting. I'll put it up. That was the article. But did yeah. you look at the report that it referred to? No, I didn't. See, this is the danger of this article. It's totally lied about what the scientific report said. Oh, well, I'll have to so, go back and, and reread that then. So I just think that's dangerous. Well, that, you, you would because you, you but, think COVID is very dangerous too, don't you? Well, well yes. Well, I, I think it I is do. dangerous, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's yeah. highly infectious. Right. We know that. right. I think misinformation generally is dangerous. In yeah, opinion. well, look, I, you know, I think the inf- a lot of the, the alarmist information that's been propagated during the last eight months has been dangerous as well mm. and has, in fact, killed people. So there you mm. go. So here's There's my, danger on both sides, Trevor. Here's my point. When I see spiked articles, I am so suspicious. Spiked articles? Uh, sorry, spectator articles. I keep getting them mixed up. Spectator <laughs> articles and spiked for that matter, but spectator in this instance – because when you start getting a f- enough of these instances of just flagrant misrepresentation of the source material 
that then you just yeah. But you often quote stuff from the Guardian. Are yeah. you are you equally yeah. critical of the Guardian, Trevor, but as you are of the Spectator? I have never seen a Guardian article that that grabs a scientific study and misrepresents it. Well, maybe it's we need to find you one. Please find me one. Yeah. But I. The Guardian, the Guardian will, is the Guardian will one be, of the most left-wing biased article, uh, of course, uh, papers out and there. And when it comes to opinion matters, of course and it they, is. And they pick sides but like they all of, do? Of course they do. But when they say this study says X, Y, Z, when you read the study, it says X, Y, Z, not sorry, ABC. I, I didn't read the actual study. I just so, read the article. So I, I just think that that's dangerous. Oh, well, I think and, you're and, misusing the word dangerous. Okay. So go. anyway... When this sort of thing happens, the other thing I do is, well, who wrote this article? Carl Hennigan and Tom Jefferson. Who are they? Don't know. Okay. Professor Carl James Hennigan, uh, British general practitioner, physician, and director of University of Oxford's Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine. Sounds respectable. It does. And as I read about him, I thought, I just can't actually see anything spooky about this guy. I just don't understand why he's put a name to an article that... Um, clearly misrepresents um, what the report says. The other co-writer of it was Tom Jefferson, and according to Wikipedia, um, he seems to be um, an outlier in the epidemiology community because he basically says influenza vaccines are, are ineffective and are a con job. So he's he's way out there in the epidemiology community on that one. So uh, so Thomas Tom Jefferson seems to be... How effective are influenza vaccines, do you know, offhand? 40 to 60% according to mm. CDC. There you go. Yeah, well... So, you know, you take the vaccine, you've got a roughly 50% chance mm. that'll do you any good. Yeah? Does that sound reasonable? Yeah. But yeah it's and, better and, than dying from influenza. And enough of the population takes it. Effectively, you are creating firebreaks. Jefferson said... Firebreaks? Firebreaks. Oh, firebreaks. So basically, Jefferson is an outlier in the community in terms of uh, epidemiologists and and influenza vaccines. According to you? Well, according to the Wikipedia article that I've got a link to, which has uh, footnotes and references to the stuff it's saying. So... um, Read that, dear listener, uh, at your leisure. But so, and I'm prepared to admit I couldn't find anything about Carl James Hennigan that seemed fishy. I don't understand why he would write like that, Thomas. Maybe Tom he Jefferson. has very good reasons, you know, based on his uh, professional experience. Why he would blatantly misrepresent a, a study, I don't know why. So uh, it also says he worked for Cochrane Collaboration, right? Who are very, very well respected yeah, in evidence-based right. medicine. Mm. So yeah, I just don't get it with him. So there we go. Um, There's our old friend Pete. <laughs> what are we up to time-wise here? 824, um, we're going to put up on the screen the Zoom meeting ID and password oh, at some okay. point. And I, I thought you were going to say we're going to put up Pete's picture <laughs> and get us banned from YouTube. Um, would we be banned if we did? So, so. So anyway, if you would like to call in like last week and uh, make some comments, um, it'd be good if you want to comment about the things we've been talking about either tonight or in the past. Um, 
don't really want a life story. It's like more on the issues than what we've been talking about. If you've got something interesting to add, don't feel you have to. If you've got something interesting to add or an insight, that would be good. Don't just ring up and say, you guys are full of shit and have nothing else to say beyond that. So yeah, That would be so, just rude. So let's um, be careful when you zoom in to have something informative to say. Okay. Right. Pete Evans. Now, Pete Evans has done a lot of things in recent times that would get on the wrong side of people. He had that sort of uh, beef broth that he was recommending for infants that people were saying was really not appropriate for infants. And he had the um, crazy machine that he said cured COVID and mm. that wasn't the case. And um, lots but, of different health advice that people have queried. But, but the machine yeah. was only about so, $15,000 yeah, or something. That's right. <laughs> Indeed. But he's finally been cancelled over... Uh, Nazi symbols, it seems. So he tweeted, uh, was it a tweet? Um, or was it a Facebook? Oh, uh, uh, this is on the, um, uh, it was a tweet, wasn't it? Um, I'm not sure now. Yeah, I gather uh, that the offensive symbol was on the wings of this um, butterfly. butterfly. Yes. 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 And that is the symbol that's apparently linked to Nazi Germany. So yeah. post, post the fall of... Um, Germany in '45. Apparently, the Nazis um, created a new symbol that was underground that carried on meaning what the swastika, the inverted swastika, meant, mm-hmm. uh, and was kind of a rallying call. Right. It'll be in the show notes, the picture anyway. Or if you actually, if you Google it, you'll just see it: Pete Evans and Nazi symbol. You can. And that's it, is it? it that symbol. Yes, apparently. So, oh, I've never seen it before. Have you guys no, seen it before? No, I've never seen it before either. Yeah. No. And, you know, you might have thought, well, maybe Pete Evans didn't know that it was a Nazi symbol. Maybe he was innocent in this. But apparently a user in the comments claimed the butterfly is wearing the black sun symbol, which was recently used in the manifesto of the Christchurch shooter. And Pete Evans replied, I was waiting for someone to see that. So he clearly knew really? the significance of what it was. So anyway, his book publisher has said that's enough of that and other sort of products that he is a a uh, sponsor of, they've said we're, uh, we're cancelling on the Pete Evans stuff. So he's, he's out of a job in terms of endorsing products. You're okay with um, various food manufacturers and whatever deciding they no longer need his services, Paul? You're looking at me? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. mean, I think he's entitled to say and tweet whatever he likes. Yes. and But he's and also entitled to have it taken away from him too. Yes. In what sense taken away from well, him? Well, he's, he's just, getting paid to be a... He's getting paid to be a representative, and that's mm. the thing of these companies. And the companies have all said, no, you've gone too far, we're not going to support you anymore. Mm. They're making their own commercial decisions, I mm. assume. But mm. it seems to me a lot of publishing companies are deadly scared of... Offending anyone these days, which I find laughable. Mm-hmm. Cringeworthy, in fact. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So I- activist group Sleeping Giants Oz is campaigning for retailers to boycott Evans products, which are currently stocked by Coles and Woolworths. Woolworths, which stocks raw coconut water by Pete Evans, told the feed it appreciates the community concern over these comments and will be conveying our own to the supplier. So... Um. Yeah, so products like that, 
uh, are under pressure to remove their endorsement by Pete Evans. And so he can, he's entitled to say what he wants to, but, Paul, you'd agree that subject to the contract, they'd be able to pull out and say, well, we don't want you anymore. As a- I haven't seen the contract. Right. But pres- right. This is kind of like the Israel Falau thing. I think there's a lot of hysteria around things like that, to mm. be honest. I mean, it is a cartoon. Mm. I'd never seen that symbol before. I don't think you guys had seen it either. Most people wouldn't have registered it mm. at all. But because, you know, somebody somewhere knows what it really means, mm. you know, they've made it their mission to, to, to get him, to get this evil guy who had the, you know, temerity to, to publish this horrible symbol that the Nazis used to use. I mean, it's a little bit over the top, I have to say. Right. It's just a fucking yeah. symbol. Well, right. Considering a- that he said that I was hoping that I was waiting to see whether anyone pick up on that, mm. I think he knew what it was. Well, maybe yeah. he was just having a joke, you know. I find it interesting for all the things he's well, done I mean, over the years. It's a Nazi symbol that's actually brought him down in the end. Like well, he's, had, yeah, he's, got, exactly. he's got a bit of a rap sheet over different things of but wacky, wacky stuff. Don't sure you think is. that you can't joke about? A swastika? No, I don't. Yeah, well, this is the whole point. This it's is like that, well, that well, case well, you, of the pug, the Nazi saluting pug. Yeah. It was a fucking joke. Yeah. Well, and the difference. People lost their shirts over Okay, it. the thing about the pug, though, was that the guy got charged with a criminal offence. Yes. So obviously that shouldn't be the case here. Obviously. But, but the question is if the pug owner had a sponsorship deal with some company, the Coke clearly, clearly the company <laughs> should be able to say, you know what? That whole pug thing, you're now a liability rather than an asset. We're ditching you. Mm. And, and yeah. they should be quite entitled to do that. They're, they're yeah. perfectly entitled to yeah. you know, pursue their commercial interests as mm. they see fit. Mm. But I still think this trend of companies, particularly book publishers, mm. you know, running scared that mm. the merest hint of somebody might be offended, I think it's extremely unhealthy. Mm. No. You don't? Uh I wouldn't describe it like that. I would say it's dangerous. Right. There you go. I've said it. Okay. You think all uh, attacks on freedom are dangerous? Um, Well, probably many of them are, yes. Yep. Okay. This is a little bit reminiscent of Falau to me, Israel, because uh, he made comments and and people wanted to stop having him as an, an endorsement for their products. And you might remember... The sorts of things that Falau said. Um, so there was a complaint lodged against Falau. Um, um, this was in Section 49ZT, I think, in New South Wales. Uh, it's unlawful for a person by public act to incite hatred towards, serious contempt for, or severe ridicule of a personal group of persons on the ground of homosexuality of the person or the members of the group. So that was the law. And you remember that Falau, um, he uh, put out a call on those who had committed various sins, including homosexuals, to repent because hell awaits. He made a comment of a similar nature attached to a news item that the Tasmanian parliament was going to make gender optional on birth certificates and he made remarks in the sermon suggesting that some of the recent natural disasters in Australia were God's judgment, in part due to the recognition of same-sex marriage contrary to God's purposes for marriage. 
So that's some of the stuff he was saying about homosexuals. And the question was, was that uh, inciting hatred towards serious contempt for or severe ridicule of homosexuals? And in the end, the claim against Falau was thrown out. But the reason it was thrown out was because the complainant, um, he was found to have been quite vexatious and and involved in abusive process. So it wasn't on the merits of the case. It was because the way he conducted the case wasn't very good. And one of the judges said, in my view, it is arguable that objectively obsessed, each comment had the capacity to incite hatred towards or serious contempt for homosexual people on the ground of their homosexuality. So Falau got off kind of on a technicality and was potentially... Subject to that, mind you, he still also potentially had a subject. He had a defence of a um, an honestly held religious belief might have saved him as a, as a defence. But anyway, that's Israel Falau dodged a decision on a technicality, and the judge said those sorts of comments on the face of it potentially could be a breach of that section. Then we shouldn't so, have laws like that. So. Um, you know, you know mm. very well mm. I'm against mm. Section 18C, mm. is it? There should be no law no. that you can't say what you sincerely mm. think about anybody. Mm. You're not hurting them. You're not stabbing them or shooting them. You're just mm. speaking. I'm it's with, ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. People have to be yeah, yeah. a bit tougher. In, <laughs> Don't you and, think? And sticks and stones may break my bones. Like, Good on you, really. Trev. I'm on your side this time. Yeah. There we go. Maybe you even changed my mind on this one. <laughs> I doubt it. No, I think you're always, a lot, you know, that way inclined. Mm. Well, Scott, um, as you can speak as a person of homosexual uh, beliefs. <laughs> when, that's not uh, a belief, yeah, is it? Yeah, yes. No, it's yeah, that's right. one of those things. I was, I was, I, what do you think, Scott? Are I you, think uh, that Falau should not have been silenced, but I was pleased that the rugby tore up his contract. Right. Because I thought to myself, you know, what he said there was all a load of shit. Mm. You know, he said hell awaits and all that sort of crap. Blah, 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 blah. But okay. I did agree that he should have had the right to say it. Yay. So, okay. So, if somebody else in a non-Falau... Situation, just an ordinary Joe Blow with a bit of a platform, you know, somebody with a podcast, our for example. Joe Blow. Yeah, our <laughs> Joe Blow, yes. Comes out and says those sorts of comments, you would not feel like uh, no, it's warranting I, I, a, I a do criminal believe a state any, sanction. I did not believe anyone should be silenced. Yeah, there we go. You know, I think that you've got to have the right to speak. Gee, yeah. with, John's, and, John's with, in the waiting room, by the oh, way. Okay, all right. And so, as, we, as we discussed several years ago now, I think, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, we've been doing this a long time. You know, people were saying, "What about all these youths? What about all these young people who are who are gay mm-hmm. or lesbian, and and they're going to be extremely worried now hearing what Falau said?" And I said, "Just tell them mm-hmm. it's all bullshit. Yeah, there is no hell. There is no God judging them. It's all yeah. bullshit for goodness' sake. And then nothing to worry about. You know, I mean, the way to combat people like Falau." is to show that his beliefs are just rubbish. Mm. They're just fairy tales. Mm. Yep. We don't have to pass laws against people, yep. you know, talking about fairy tales, yep. for goodness sake. 
until you start saying things like "let's go out and bash all homosexuals," That's right. then you know anything short of that, of course, should be frowned upon. But there shouldn't really be a state sanction, I don't think. So we've got John, who's uh, going to come through. John, how are you going? John, are you there? John, I did see something on the mm. microphone, but yeah. not hearing anything yet. Not hearing you, John. If you if you get your microphone working, John, chime in and say hello. We'll just keep talking. So. You say hello when you're able to. Um, we just had that thing recently with South Australia where there was the pizza pizza shop situation. Yeah, that was – I didn't understand why the guy lied. Well, he was probably working illegally. He's <laughs> probably not declaring the income. Mm. So that's why he didn't want to declare. So, dear listener – if you're listening to this episode in th- three years' time and you're wondering what were they talking about, basically in South Australia, a guy who caught COVID um, said he got it. The only involvement he had with this pizza shop was that he bought pizzas from there. And in fact, he worked at the pizza shop along with another guy who was. Um, and because he worked there, it meant that he contracted it from this guy. And therefore, he didn't get it from a pizza box. He got it from actual interaction with this other guy. So the state had basically said to 4,000 people who had anything to do with this pizza shop in your homes and and you're locked up. And that turned out to be completely unnecessary because this guy had lied. He wasn't infected just from handling a pizza box as a customer. He, in fact, worked in the, in the pizza shop. So that was... Um, well, you would have thought they would do a little bit more investigating. Wouldn't you think? Um, and say, what? Are you sure? Who are you? And, and yeah, you would have thought they would have spent more time. But in the end, that was that. So, Some I, classes of V's are actually restrict the number of hours you can work. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It was probably oh, yeah. some poor, low-paid, mm. casual worker afraid of the consequences of, you know, admitting to mm. all the... I think he was a Spanish guy, like on some, some. Mm. I don't know. Sort of, was, uh, could probably be probably a student visa yeah, or something. Yeah, could yeah. be something like that. So. And you're right; it's it's twenty hours a week that mm. they're legally allowed to work. Mm. So Palaszczuk's had a very tough um, line in Queensland, not letting other other sort of states seems in. to come naturally yeah. to it, doesn't it? So, Paul, here's some bad news for you. <laughs> I think that news. the potential arrival of a vaccine early next year, will make her even tougher because without that on the horizon, she'd be having to think, well, we've got to start getting back to normal in some sense. But with a vaccine around the corner and if there's a skerrick of doubt about any particular state, I think she'll just slam the door shut and say, nope, because she'll sort of be figuring by March, April, we'll start getting vaccinated. And and so I just think, the prospect of a vaccine on the very near horizon would be enough to make her even more game to shut things down, knowing that she's just going to hold out till that well, vaccine arrives. Well, she has no incentive mm. to, to act any, mm. any other way now, does she? Mm. I mean, she trashed whole sections of the economy and people rewarded her by, you know, voting her back into office. So what incentive would she have to do anything different? Mm. Anyway, so we'll see what happens with that one. And Sweden came up a lot in previous discussions about lockdowns and they were sort of put forward as a group who had conducted a different style of 
of voluntary lockdown, no sort of government mandated, and sort of encouraging the population to not go crazy in terms of football stadiums of 50,000 people, but basically a fairly generous um, and and quite slack sort of arrangements in terms of lockdown. Would you agree with that, Paul? That was the sort of nature of the Swedish experiment? Hmm. It yeah. wasn't co- coerced or compelled, was yes. it? Yes, and, and even the voluntary sort of recommended guidelines were saying, you can go to cinemas, you can go to... Mm-hmm. Bars and, and restaurants, restaurants and, yeah. and that, that probably sort of thing. fewer people actually did, right? Um, uh, Don't know. Yeah. So anyway, in latest news, the Swedish government has announced new restrictions on the size of public gatherings as the country seeks to come to grip with the second wave of the pandemic that has seen record daily numbers of new cases and growing pressure on hospitals. Prime Minister Stefan Lovven. Yeah. Who have we got there? Some noise coming through. Yeah, I think we've finally got uh, John. John? Hello, can you hear me now? We can. Yes, we can, but we can hear ourselves there, John. Have you got some? Have you got us in the background somehow on some other device? Yeah, so you just need yeah, to... Yeah, I've got a second device going because yeah. I couldn't figure yeah. out how... Um, okay, can you turn that one down? Yeah, hang on a second. All right. So while John's doing that... Um, there Okay, John, before you start, I'm just going to finish off with the Sweden thing. So um, Prime Minister Stefan Lovven said Swedes were not sticking to coronavirus recommendations as well as they did in the spring, and public gatherings will be limited to eight people, down from the previous upper limit of 300. Mm-hmm. This is the new norm for the entire society, he said. Don't go to gyms, don't go to libraries, don't host dinners, cancel. So... That's just interesting that Sweden, who had had that sort of model, Mm. um, basically, I've got a bit of a graph there showing their cases and their death rates. So the deaths are actually not rising as fast as the cases, are they? Well, we'll see. So they're always, they seem to follow it to some extent. You can always look at these graphs and make your own views, but... In any event, Sweden, which was a bit laissez-faire, come on, guys, just don't do too much, have sort of cracked down harder than they did previously. So that's just an interesting move by the Swedish authorities. John, what do you got, what do you got to say, John? You're an ex... Well, you're a current member of the Labor Party, comrade. Um, <laughs> is that what you want to talk <laughs> yeah, about in the man. Labor Party or you're, you got another beef or an idea? Um. Oh yeah, I'm I'm still waiting to get invited back into the um, meetings of the Labor Party. They're a bit slack getting going down here. Physical meetings? Have they had Zoom yeah, meetings? Yeah, any meetings? Hey, really? Any meetings? They're not doing Zoom or anything. I think the New South Wales um, uh, head branch is um, quite happy not being uh, looked over. <laughs> okay. All right. And what's what's on your mind, John? What are you? What ideas do you want to share with us that we need to know? I, I think the big one that's really concerning me at the moment is that the Liberal government's getting away with not giving money to the people, like just trying to give it to anybody but the people, and the Labor's just not calling them on it. Yep, because there's people who are out of work, uh, teachers who teach foreign students, uh, accountants who used to work in the mining uh, industry. <laughs> um, lots of people are still out of work. 
Um, and the whole job keeper, job seeker money is being reduced, John. That's your feel? Yeah. Your, um, your complaint? I, yeah, I was on that job seeker for a while um, mm. when you didn't have to look for work. But, um, I mean, as you know, me and uh, Kay have been doing our own thing, plus I've got a, a bit of other work. So recently I've had to uh, start looking for work. So now I'm not on job seeker anymore. But mm. when I was on it, it worked really well. You know, I was getting some sort of base wage essentially. So I could keep contributing to the economy and I was keeping surviving okay. It was good. Yep. You weren't saving up your money in a big pile. You were actually spending it. Like what was coming in? Well, yeah, I've got to spend it because mm. um, you need to you eat. Know, even even when it was at its tops, you know, was it um, what was it, fifteen hundred a fortnight or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, before tax and deductions. Um, yeah, but that's 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 enough to live on. I, I, I mean, the big thing where the Labor Party is failing, I think, is in um, uh, messaging. Mm-hmm. So rather than calling it a minimum wage, it should be called a living wage. So that 1500 a fortnight, I feel, was a living wage. You know, I could survive, pay home payments, feed the kids and me and survive. Mm. So, so I, John, really you'd be don't... in favour of a universal basic income, would you? Yeah, I think I said this last time I was on. I'm, I I do like the idea of a universal basic income because it, I think it can sell to everyone better, but I'm starting to lean more towards a minimum wage because that's more the base of people putting money into the economy. Yeah, so w- would you have to work to get this basic wage that you're talking about or not? Um, no, I think it should be like a, uh, a safety net. Yeah, you know so I mean? it's, like, it's going to be paid as a universal basic income then. So, John. Yeah, but I, I don't see why people that are on, you know, a hundred grand a year or more should be getting a basic income, though. So, well, that's yeah. the whole point. Everyone yeah. should, everyone should get it. Yeah, yeah. But, but John, yeah, I'm, John, what I'm were you doing before the pandemic? What sort of work were you doing? Um, uh, mostly part time. I was truck driving, and then um, uh, my wife has me. Uh, Sort of, kind of employed driving um, the van around. Yep. So, I visited so, you, Trev, didn't I? Yeah, I know. So, post pandemic, did that work dry up? The work you were doing before the pandemic, were you, were you not able to do that work? Because I, I think uh, yes, transport... for a little while the truck driving just dried up totally. Really? They just, oh yeah, just. What sort of stuff were you transporting? Just, hey? What sort of stuff were you transporting? Um, I was working in one of the grocery yards. Uh, down here in Gosford. But wouldn't that still groceries, like, move around the country? I, I don't understand why. Yeah, but what, what what happened was all the permanents freaked out and instead of only doing a little bit of overtime, they started doing every ounce of overtime they could. So all the casuals like me went, oh, we don't need you. So even mm. though the level of business for the transport of groceries was the same, it was a bit like yes. people buying toilet paper in a mad panic. The, the permanents grabbed extra shifts or work and the casuals dropped off. But the, the quantity may have dropped a little bit, Trevor, though. Keep in mind a lot of restaurants were closed. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but then people still had to eat at home. I mean, if you didn't... But, you you know, I, I think... Yeah, but the groceries don't supply the restaurants. The groceries supplied the... 
the stores themselves. The so, yeah. but John, after like, surely that settled down. Surely the the full timers, after a month or two or three, went. Oh, I'm still okay. I'll go back to what I was doing. Like, yeah, yeah. That it all recovered after about uh, about eight weeks, I think. It took but, to pretty much settle down. But you can't get that work back. Um, yeah, I've got most of that back. Yep. Oh, okay. So yep. then you. Then you're kind of now in the position you were in before the pandemic. Is that? I am. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you don't need the. All right. So you don't no, need don't, a job keeper no. or job seeker, then. No, I don't. No. Right. Now. Okay. But I, I think as a, I think as a matter of, um, policy, I think that, um, yeah. um like uh, the Velvet Gloves said, yeah. I think that a universal basic income would be a lot better for the economy, basically, yeah. and okay. and keep people out of the gutter. Okay, like, <laughs> so not for yourself, but you're feeling yeah. sorry for the others who are still in the lurch. Yep. Because okay. Well, yeah, I, mm. I, I think if 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 we had a universal basic income of sort, then um, money would keep flowing up in a capitalist society like it does now. Mm. It's the whole um, philosophy of the sort of Morrison uh, prosperity gospel um, type thing is. You know, when the pandemic struck and there was a lot of people immediately out of work and there was those long lines of people outside of uh, Centrelink. Centrelink who had never been in a Centrelink line in their life and the government sort of looked at them and went, well, they're ordinary, hard-working Australians who are just out of luck, clearly. We'll give them some money. Whereas now they're saying, by now you should have had a job back. Like, if you don't have a job now, it's because you're a lazy bum and we need to start reducing the money in order to incentivise you to get back on the horse sort of thing. It's, that's really what's it, it going on. It didn't take long for um, Scotty from marketing to get his um, ideological uh, barrow back going again. It's, mm. it, 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 there's no evidence in his arguments. It's all, um, like you just said, they're just keeping um, blaming the victim, essentially. Mm. Mm. So. Good point, John. That's good. We're going to make it short and sweet. Unless you've got something else to add, we'll cut you off and send no, you off. No. So good on you, John. Oh, mate, I'll mess with you. I'm up your way tomorrow. So. Okay. All right. No all worries. Right. Good luck with all that. Thanks for calling in, John. Talk to you next time. Thank you. Yes, bye, John. Bye. All right. That was John. Good on you, John. That's good point. We haven't mentioned that before, the reduction in the JobKeeper, JobSeeker, and times are still tough. And it's going to go down again, mm. isn't it? Yeah. From is, January. I don't know. Yeah, they mm. reduced it from fifteen hundred a fortnight to seven fifty. Mm. And they still take tax out of that, by the way. Mm. And then it's going from seven fifty down to six fifty or six hundred or something. Right. I mean, how does anybody live on that? Mm. Yeah. They, they don't. They mm. can't. Mm. It's a short answer. Mm. Just what are we up to time-wise? We'll finish up very soon because um, I was just talking about Sweden before. I just had notes after that. USA, uh, as of November 22nd, um, November 22nd, they were having 175,000 new cases each day and 1,486 deaths each day in the United States. Um, so that's a big number, but the United States is a big country. There's a lot of people in the United States, 328 million of them. So we're 25 million, so it's 13 times as big. So if we would 
basically in the same situation as the United States, I calculate that we would be currently having 13,500 new cases each day and 114 deaths per day if we were to replicate that on a per-head basis. There we go. Our situation is quite different. Mm-hmm. And finally, Paul, you sent something I saw about an article in The Guardian about an Arabic satirical news mm. website, sort of an Onion style. Yes. You thought that was good? I thought it was interesting and amusing, didn't you? Mm. I mean, because I'm, I don't know, I'm, I, I suppose I'm just prejudiced, but I have this image of people in the Arabic-speaking world as, of course they don't lack a sense of humour, but, mm. you know, they're a little bit, sensitive about certain topics, so that might sort of dampen things a bit. But clearly these guys, and did you notice in the article it said that they very deliberately avoid the topic of religion? Do they? Yes. No, I didn't notice that. So it's an Onion-style magazine. They said they avoid people's religious beliefs, but they're attacking their religious practice. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how they... Well, so so what they said was people stopping in front of other people's houses to pray at prayer time, they were lampooning that, saying, couldn't you find somewhere better to stop, possibly blocking the people in, but they wouldn't actually go over their religious belief per se. But still, the guy who runs it has stopped visiting the Middle East. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's based in London. And he's decided that he's not going to visit these Middle Eastern countries anymore because he had some unpleasant experiences the last few times he did. So for those who don't know, The Onion is a satirical magazine that basically runs headlines of crazy, funny sort of ideas that at first blush you kind of think, is that real? And then you sort of realise it's satirical. And so just some of the headlines of from Al-Hadud, which will give you a feel for the sort of articles they're writing are. Um, here's one headline. Students at local school memorise lesson in independent thinking. <laughs> and intelligence service corrects beliefs of men who thought he only feared God. <laughs> and to the uh, a very dark sort of one, Syrian dies of natural, natural causes. causes. That <laughs> one is dark. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, there we go. An Arabic satirical news site kind of in the vein of The Onion. Or The Batuta Advocate. Indeed, that sort of thing. Yep, or The Shuffle. The Shuffle, indeed. Mm. Right. Um, Still looking for a female voice out there. If you're able to make it to the leafy western suburbs on a Tuesday night, 7.30, so that would be good. Apply within. (laughs) And um, I think we're done. Yeah. All right, well... Uh, Mrs Fist won't have to crank up the speed when she's listening to yeah, it. Yeah, dear listener, it's embarrassing. I get in the car with Mrs Fist and her um, the car radio system just immediately starts playing the podcast that she's been listening to. And, you know, sometimes it's this podcast played at one and a half speed. I just find that insulting. So <laughs> anyway, at least she's listening to it. Yes, so, that's yeah. something. All right. Um, thank you, dear listener. Talk to you next week. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. Bye, everyone. Cheers all. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. It seems that you've been living two lives. One of these lives 
has a future, and one of them does not. I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be, Mr. Anderson. You're here because we need your help. My colleagues believe that I'm wasting my time with you, but I believe you wish to do the right thing. We're willing to wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start. All that we're asking in return is your cooperation and... A simple donation of $1 per episode. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. But I think I got a better one. How about I give you the finger... ...and you give me my... ...free podcast. Mr. Anderson... You disappoint me. You can't scare me with this Gestapo crap. I know my rights. I want my free podcast. Tell me, Mr. Anderson, what good is a podcast if you're unable to hear? Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.